The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Just today we're going to deviate a little bit from our, our normal uh, private investigator talks to talking about security in the Middle East. And we're going to get a bird's eye view of the Middle East with my guest, retired Brigadier General Rashid Ali Malik. Um, he was there when communism died. He experienced the destabilization of Pakistan over the years. He's, he saw al-Qaeda take root in Afghanistan. He watched the rise of the Islamic extremist, extremism and the call for the jihad, and that was, of course, worldwide. And he was there when the USSR fell apart. Um, he observed actually five Muslim republics declare their independence, and he shared with us the sorrow of 9-11. So after serving in the Pakistan army, and I believe he's the fifth generation um, army person uh, for t- 32 years, Brigadier Rashid Ali Malik, now retired, founded a private security agency named Security 2000. Then he spent five years as Director General of Pakistan Global Source, LLC, which is a Washington-based security consulting enterprise. He's currently president, and maybe chairman, he'll have to clarify that, of the All-Pakistan Security Agencies Association, and he's a member of as is. Investigation Council, that's um, mm, as is. I can't even remember what that all stands for. Um, Security International Association, and he's past president and current board chair of the World Association of Detectives. He was awarded the World Association of Detectives International Security Professional of the Year in Moscow in 2004, and as an aside, he served as the captain of the Pakistan national basketball team. Uh, he provided uh, security for the world, uh, the Cricket World Cup. He was the commander of the Pakistan National Day Parade in Islamabad. And he's also, Brigadier Malik, is also the recipient of 17 medals for war and peacetime service, two commendations from the Chief of Army Staff, the Army Chief Gold Medal, 20 gold medals in sports and he is actually currently located in Karachi, Pakistan from where he's joining us today which I just think is wonderful. Hello Brigadier Malik. Hi, uh, it's good evening here. Uh, I believe it's morning there but uh, hi folks everybody. I hope you can listen to me. Yes. Uh, and- that's, a, that's a long introduction you've made. I mean 
that's a long time ago. Uh, been in the army for a long time, lived a long life. So uh, that's a long introduction, but here I am, and uh, it's good to talk to you, folks. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Brigadier. Um, now, what? Tell me what the weather's like in Karachi. Well, it's, it's getting around now. I mean, we are in the beginning of October, and uh, uh, Karachi is in the south of Pakistan, and Karachi is uh, is generally warmer than the rest of the country. We we have a country which stands up, you know. In the south, we are at the sea level, and which is Karachi, where I am. But in the north, uh, we have some of the highest mountains in the world. We have uh, like. Uh, in the world's 20 highest mountains, we have eight of them. Mm. So they go up, and as you go north, uh, we, uh, we get into the ranges of the, the Himalayas and the Karakurums. So it's a mixed kind of a... We, we, we get all... We're very fortunate. We get all temperatures, all weathers here. And uh, But it'll become cool here. I think starting November, it'll be nice. Uh, at the moment, you need the fan, uh, and sometime in the afternoon, you need to have the air conditioner. Yeah, so uh, getting terrible now from the from the very hot weather. All right, all right. So so tell me, Brigadier, how did you decide after you? I guess this is after you uh, you left the army and you became involved in security. How did you decide to start your own company? Uh, yes, that's a very good question because many I've been asked this before. I mean, but what that happened was that I I was serving in the army and. Uh, uh, the last five years I got uh, was a very prestigious appointment. I was made the, uh, the 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 director general, or it, as it is called, the force commander of the uh, security of all Pakistan security uh, uh, airports. I was responsible for all the airports in Pakistan, and we have a lot of airports. We have almost 40 airports in Pakistan, mm. and uh, the. Uh, the surroundings here in Pakistan, as perhaps a lot of you folks will know, that we haven't got, to be honest, the best of neighbors. We've got uh, pretty rough neighbors all around, uh, uh, rough in the sense that we've had a lot of things going on in in uh, west and north, which is Afghanistan, then towards our west, which is Iran, and of course a continuous border with India on the east. So, uh, and in the north we have China and Russia. So we used to have Russia, of course. Russia broke down, uh, broke up, and so we're surrounded by a lot of uh, countries uh, which are which are pretty going through. We're in a lot of rough time. Indians for that time there was a uh, lot of the plane being hijacked uh, for uh, for uh, by the Sikhs. Uh, there was movement in Kashmir, so uh, there was that pressure. Then in Afghanistan, well, Afghanistan has always been like this. Uh, very unstable. Then there was Iran. So uh, they had to have uh, the airports in Pakistan very stable. And this is the time when uh, hijacking was uh, was the other form, which is the terrorism at that time was hijacking. And uh, so, uh, so what the Pakistan army had decided that responsibility to protect all the airports from hijacking mm-hmm. uh, would be given to the army. Quite unlike other countries of the world, where perhaps the air force or some or the police did it, but here the army was told that you'll guard the airports. So, uh, so an army brigadier used to be uh, nominated or picked up by the army chief, and he would be told that you become the uh, he's made the director general of the airport security, and so he would be in charge of the security of all the airports. So 
So that's my first interaction with security, typically security job. Otherwise, I was a plain infantryman, uh, just doing my own thing, uh, like an infantry soldier. And but, when? Uh, and what year? And what year was that, Brigadier? What year did you start? Well, that was like uh, yes, that's, uh, that was nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Uh, okay. When I was yeah, nineteen ninety, when I stole to uh, take over the airport security force, and uh, so I came to this, the headquarters of this force is in Karachi. And they have uh, officers all over the country, wherever there are airports. And like you said, there were almost 40 airports, some of them, uh, all of them running, maybe one or two of them. Sometimes they are uh, they made unoperational. But uh, wherever there are airports in Pakistan, the airport security force is responsible for all the entries into the restricted areas of the airports. So mm-hmm. it's a tough job. It's a lot of responsibility. But that's my first contact with security. And, and having done that for five, 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 done that for five years, I thought uh, I was now, you know, I was suitably now turned on for uh, running a security, a private security company, because uh, you couldn't sell. You, uh, sorry, you couldn't sell more than thirty-two years. So uh, as my thirty-two years were coming in, I uh, I decided to set up my own company. All right, and during the time you were um, security for the airports. Did you have a hijacking? No. Okay. Thank God. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's the best. We didn't. No, we didn't have a hijacking. We had hijacking before that, uh, but thank goodness we've. Uh, well, I've always said that God has been very kind to me, and um, no, there's no hijacking. Right. And uh, we had a, I had a good. There were minor incidents here and there, but uh, that they'll always be because you know there's a lot of. You're dealing with people, and uh, but no hijacking. Oh, that's that's great. Oh, thank God, no. Yeah. So then, uh, after 32 years, you left the army. Yeah. And after 32 years, I decided to leave the army and set up my own company. And when you retire from the army in Pakistan, does it work like it does in the United States, where you get army benefits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, army is. Uh, the Pakistan Army is uh, is a very. I mean, it looks after you. I mean, as you live and as you retire, uh, it looks after you because it's it's a very prestigious. Uh, I'm not saying it's not prestigious in other countries, but I can say for my country, uh, it's really a uh, it's really a blessing if you can join the army and serve your bit. Uh, the army looks after you. So I done my 32 years. So the army, uh, when you retire, gives you a good pension. And uh, on which you can go off, uh, retire, and do some work. Uh, so um, I was very lucky. I was only at that time. I was only 50 years of age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I joined the army. It was you know pretty early, 17 and a half or 18. So I was only 50 years of age, and I thought I could still do. A lot of people in the world they they said well, we've done 32 years and we need to retire now. But um, I thought 50 was a good enough age to be able to start another, another, uh, another profession or another part of my life, and uh, it was a good decision taken. And in 1995 or maybe early 1996, when I left, I set up my own company. And then, um, did you go? Did you associate with this Washington consultancy after that? After no, you set up no, your own company? Much later. No, that was much, much, much later. Uh, what I did was, uh, uh, I was, uh, I was sort of uh, very enamored 
or I used to read and watch a lot of Western, you know, books and comics and movies. Uh-huh. And I'd heard of two large, two, 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 uh, two old uh, Western security companies. Uh, one was, of course, Wells Fargo in the U.S. and That's the other right. one was Pinkerton. Yes. Yeah, Wells Fargo and Pinkerton. So when I was retiring, I, I got in touch with both of them in the U.S. And I told them that I'm going to retire. I'm going to set up a security company in Pakistan. And uh, I'd like to help. I, w- I don't want to set up a company like... Uh, we, we had a lot of companies. You have to take government license to set up a company in Pakistan. But I said there are many companies operating already in Pakistan. But I want to open a company which is... Which is, um, which is, you know, a contemporary company. It's a modern company. I don't want to open up a typical company. Like. So I asked both of them. And uh, they said, all right. And uh, they were very excited. And, uh, of course, then Wells Fargo at that time in 1996 was, uh, I think it was, when it was bought, you know, there was a merger with, uh, I think it's called Globe Security, something in the U.S. And so Wells Fargo, except for the bank, Wells Fargo Bank, Wells Fargo was bought by probably, uh, I, I don't remember, but Pinkerton. Uh, they said, okay. So I sort of had an affiliation uh, with Pinkerton and uh, I set up my company on the lines of Pinkerton and, you know, Pinkerton was a very contemporary company, a modern company. Of course, it was very old, the oldest company in the U.S. They're also the largest. Yeah. But I set my company up on the lines of Pinkerton. Okay, well, this is a good time for a break, um, okay. Brigadier. This, that is cons- security consultant, Brigadier Rashid Malik, and we'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities 
securities and real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today, Brigadier Rashid Malik, is discussing... Uh, how security and private investigation works in the Middle East, and we're talking about beyond Osama. Brigadier, you were talking about how you set up the model of your company similar to Pinkerton. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, uh, a, glaring, a, a glaring difference that I soon learned was that uh, investigations were, uh, were a, a proper part of business in the U.S., and you needed a license to do that. You need permission and a license in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Now, in in our part of the world, which includes the Middle East, it includes uh, uh, Pakistan, uh, private investigation is not allowed. There are no uh, licenses for private investigators. Private investigation is supposed to be the domain of the police only. So uh, we don't do any private investigations in Pakistan. So, now, uh, Brigadier, yeah, excuse me. Yeah. Let me let me ask you what yeah, would ha- what would happen if somebody was was doing private investigation work in Pakistan? What would happen to them? Well, he'd be uh, whatever license he had, whatever he's doing, he'd be asked, and his business would be shut down because you're not allowed officially to run a private agent, private secure, a private investigation, and uh, you know. You can't be a PIE as such, I see. Uh, like the way you have in the U.S. And I've met a lot of people who, who are third generation or fourth generation private investigators. Their fathers and their grandfathers have been PIEs mm-hmm. and it runs in the, in the family, but not so here. Now, what we do in Pakistan is that we, 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 we can't, we don't call it investigation, but what we do is we do background checks. Now, for example, uh, I get asked from banks when people employ people, then confidentially they send us the material. They say, well, this fellow has applied for such and such job. And can you do a background check on him? In the sense that, can you check where is he from? Is his address correct? Are his education qualifications correct? And so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So they give me a list of things. And then I send out, I send out people on the ground. And they go and do a physical ground check. I mean, if he says he belongs to, that's his address, you go and check. Because many times it was found that 
these had nobody this is not a this uh, actually started off when I joined this business and I learned it from Pinkerton that this is something which which is very important. And remember I'm talking of this is pre nine eleven. A lot of things have changed after nine eleven and we can talk about that. But yes. before nine eleven, uh security was not so much not so much uh in in uh, I mean an issue. And uh, people would employ people not knowing where is he from and so on and so forth. But still, when I introduced this in 1996, I said, why don't you you know where this man has come from? Why don't you check whether his documents are correct, whether whether he says that he's he's qualified and so on and so forth. And to begin with, companies said, oh, that's an extra job. We will trust everybody who applies. But then gradually, they began to see what I was saying. And uh, they started to hire me or my company, and they started saying that, all right, we are hiring so-and-so, uh, and this is what he says about himself. He says he lives in this place, this is his address, he is given, uh, these are his qualifications, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So we actually then go on the ground, you know, like he says that I've graduated or I've done master's and so-and-so from such college or university. So we actually go on the ground and check on the ground whether that's true or not. And uh, so that has become now almost, uh, that is also, uh, we get a lot of tasking from the from from abroad as well. I mean, we mm-hmm. get, I get a lot of tasking from the U.S. people saying that there are Pakistanis who are being employed on jobs in the U.S. And, and how, uh, people... Let me ask you a question. People, go on, yes. Yes, let me ask you a question. Uh, how often do you... Would you anticipate that you find that somebody isn't who they say they are, or they haven't done the things okay. they said they're doing? I understand, I understand the question. I mean, uh, I would say that it's uh, it's about four or five percent, uh-huh. or maybe six percent, and generally uh, the variation or varies. You know, is forced his way. He basically, generally, it's with his education documents. You know, they. They they would change the name and put their name on, and then suddenly appear for an interview saying that he has done this qualification and therefore he's qualified to do this job. Mm-hmm. And uh, so therefore he, uh, when you went and you checked up, and this was not the same person. Uh, so that so I would say the answer to your question is it is between five and I would say five to seven or eight uh, percent okay. where people are trying to. Uh, hide or people are trying to miss make a statement uh, which is not true and uh, just to get the job right yeah but of course you know if if the person turns out to be okay that's one thing but if if somebody's getting a job with uh false credentials they may put yeah. people at risk well certainly they would people at risk and, and uh, we don't we, we just report back to the you know and this is now being done by a lot of banks because before they employ people, they sent us a confidential email, uh, you know, stating all the things that he has he has said in his job application. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we then get hold of that, and we then we send out people, and they go on the ground and check those things. You know, he says, "I live in this This is my address. Uh, my brothers do this because you want to know basic things about this man. You want to be sure before you appoint him." And uh, so, uh, and I picked this up from the army because the army, uh, in the army, uh, we, we are very careful as to check the antecedents 
of mm. people who mm-hmm. are working in the army and we want to know who's who and so on and so forth. So the army does this and there are studies in the army. And I'm sure this is like any other army of the world, a proper, you know, a proper army. I mean, I'm just saying uh, ours is a very proper army. And like uh, in the sense that once the chap, uh, once, once a fellow is joining the army, so his things are checked. Once he's being then promoted into senior ranks, and I say sure. senior ranks generally would be majors and beyond, and he's checked. Once he's going on important career courses, you know, a year's course and so on, again he's checked. Then he's checked again if he's getting on sensitive appointments. There are sensitive appointments, you know, so he's checked again. So on an average, if a man spends, like my did, 32 years in the army, I would, I would assume, I, I don't know, but I would assume that I would have been checked at least four or five times. They would, you know, at mm-hmm. different stages of my career in the army, they would check me up whether I was, I was, I was the same person, and I don't have any contact with anybody who was uh, anti-Pakistan or uh, who's. I, I mean, I was not involved in something which uh, a person like myself should not be involved in. So uh, I would sure. say four or five times in 30 years, I would have been checked. So this gave me an idea and I introduced this in, uh, and this is caught up now there are many companies who are doing this kind of work. So this is the kind of investigation. That's one. The other investigations that we do without calling them investigation are basically uh, reputation checks and also... And what uh, kind of checks? Reputation. You know, what oh, is reputation. reputation? Uh-huh. Yeah, reputation. And we get this task from a lot of times from abroad that this man says that he's so and so, so and so, so and so. Can you just check? I mean, what is what is his reputation and all? So we go around and where he lives, we just go and check uh, and what people say about him, and we get back and uh, to the to the to the customer or to the client and tell them that this man is uh, well, not not what he is or uh, or he is what he is saying. Mm-hmm. So that helps people from employing people. Uh, you know, they, they feel more confident that they've checked this guy out. Of course, you can never be sure, 100%. Nobody can ever be sure. That's right. But uh, yeah, but uh, but you have a good sense. Uh, you are, you are, uh, you are uh, I mean, it's a good thing to have a sense of who you're employing and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, so it gives you more confidence. So that's what we are introduced here, and that's the kind of investigations that we do here. Now, I mean, we don't call it investigation, but they're background checks and so on. Now, are you ever contacted to do uh, to check out um, someone that wants to marry into a family? Yes, we've been asked this, but we don't do that. You don't. We do that. are not. Doing, we are not doing any matrimonial stuff. Yes, we get with a lot of these uh, requirements from abroad. A lot of the people say that. Uh, you know, Swans was getting married. We we don't do matrimonial. I mean, uh, somehow we have not done that because I think that uh, uh, a lot of people want to do that, but I don't do that. We don't do that because uh, I think it's a lot of very personal and so on and so forth. So uh, mm-hmm. we're not doing. No, we're not doing that. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So you would you would call the background type of things that you're doing a due diligence? Is that right? Yes. Yes, you're okay. absolutely right. It's a, it's a due diligence. Uh, we do check that. Uh, sometimes we are asked a little bit more than this, and then we, we tell them, go around and tell them that, no, we cannot do that, you know, uh, because that's in the domain of investigations, pure investigation. And investigation is such, even if you extend 
a little bit uh, if you extend uh, if you extend uh, you know uh, uh, the scope of due diligence uh, but you don't want to go into the the realm of investigation because investigations are basically they're technical matters and we can't do that and we don't do that mm-hmm. uh, right. to be honest we are not trained I'm not, my guys are not trained then of course when you're not allowed so uh, you don't want to be doing something which you're not allowed sure absolutely <clears throat> okay all right well um, Brigadier we're going to take another short break and okay. um We'll just be back in a minute. That's security consultant Brigadier Rashid Malik, and we will be right back in a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Taylor. Brigadier Rashid Malik, a former Pakistani general who has lived through the dramatic changes in the East and the Middle East, is going to give us some insight into this, the complicated politics that are uh, happening there now. And um, Brigadier, you know, tell us how it is to work. You're based in Karachi, based in Pakistan, but I know you go into other surrounding countries. How is it to work in those other countries when the environment is so volatile? Uh, 
yes, that's a, uh, another, another good question. And, uh, well, I actually don't go to these countries. I, uh, I have an office in Dubai and, uh, I have, uh, people who work in that office and, uh, and from there they can, um, uh, I mean, we have a license to operate in Dubai. We can, we've got guarding licenses. We've got also intellectual property license there. And so therefore we get requirements. Uh, for the region, um, we get a requirement. Let us say that uh, in Kuwait, uh, is there? Can you check whether so-and-so product is being counterfeited and sold, and in what quantity, and so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. And uh, this can uh, vary from, let's say, electric bulbs to 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 perfumes and to medicines and a lot of these things. So we uh, so. My people, they travel to those countries and uh, from Dubai, and uh, they actually get a hold of, uh, you know, first hand. These countries are not very large, but uh, you have to be there. So they go and spend some time, and so they get a first hand account, and they come back, and uh, then you report. So this uh, this requirement can come from uh, from the U.S. or from France or from mm-hmm. the U.K. or Canada. So we do that kind of work, and then inside. Uh, except for India, where uh, obviously uh, I can't work in India because uh, of my background. And generally, it's not you know it's not too easy for a military man or a Pakistani to work in India. It but, wouldn't be uh, safe, would it? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's not unsafe. But we've got requirements to do this in India. Many times, uh, uh, maybe five five years ago, we were, I was told I was in Dubai, and at uh, that time, I was called by. Uh, 20th Century Fox people, and they want—they were going to shoot a movie uh, in Goa, which is close to the Indian uh, port of Mumbai. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a beautiful beach there, and so on. And they were going to shoot a movie there, and they said, "Can you give security?" And I said, uh, "I mean, this is quite strange because I'm a Pakistani, mm-hmm. and you're asking me to provide security in India." Uh, right. But they said, "We know you, and uh, can you do that?" So. I did it. I mean, I didn't go to India, but um, I I got hold of somebody in uh, in uh, in Dubai, advertised, and uh, the gentleman came, and he was ex uh, Indian armed forces. Somebody oh, I see. Worked in that area. Yeah, and he said, "All right, I can do it." And he went to he went to Mumbai. He recruited people, and we provided security to to this to this movie. Uh, and it was in two, two bits. Yeah, so it's very interesting sometimes. Uh, it was very challenging because, I mean, there's no, I can't ever think of going into India. I can't. So, but I was able to provide security sure. by Indians, but organize it from another country. So you, you get that kind of opportunity when you're in Dubai, you can do this. I see. So, uh, so that's what I do. Uh, and it works. Well, that's great. And so you have expressed to me, uh, Brigadier, that you're, you're concerned about, um, what's happening in the Middle East and what possibly will happen when the Americans pull out of Afghanistan. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, uh, unfortunately, that's a very hot topic now because uh, uh, as uh, President Obama is categorically, you know, he said that he's going to begin pulling out troops in 2014 and he's going to pull out by 2014, all of them will be out and start pulling out from end of this year. Now, once you make that kind of a statement, 
and I'm not questioning the wisdom of making the statement. That's, of course, politics. But uh, that sort of, you know, lets, lets the cat out of the bag. And uh, so these guys who are fighting there in Afghanistan, they know that, you know, at this time, these people will be gone. So what they need to do is, uh, they're all guerrilla fighters. They're, so they've all, they all go up in the mountains and so on and so forth. They just make themselves scarce. And uh, they know that by this time, so-and-so will be pulling out, so therefore they can come back again. So, um, unfortunately, uh, that is beginning to happen now. And uh, it will happen more and more as you get close to their dates, because they know eventually the Americans will have to leave. I mean, no matter what they say, but they'll have to leave. And uh, once the Americans are gone, so then it will be, uh, if I can use the word, free for all uh, in Afghanistan. And unfortunately, uh, where uh, targets have not been met is where training of the, the Afghan army and Afghan police, the ANA and the ANP, the Afghan National Police and the Afghan National Army, they have not been trained as yet. And uh, it is very difficult to train these guys because uh, all along the Afghans have been very good fighters, but mm-hmm. they've never been, you know, they've not been known to fight as a cohesive unit. I mean, they've, they've, they've been fight, they're very good at fighting guerrilla warfare. But if I you see. want to train them to make them into an army, I think it's the most difficult thing to make them into an army. It's just like, uh, uh, if you go back into the days of uh, American Wild West where you had Red Indian, and uh, somehow if you said, all right, General Custer thought that he would train the, uh, the Red Indians and make them into an army. Well, they will never be an army. They will be very good fighters. They will fight. In so that's it's the same thing here. The Afghans is very difficult to to expect the Afghans to turn out to be you know uh, to be a good army. You know, I think it's it's very wishful to think that they they'll always remain good fighters, but they will unfortunately they cannot be disciplined to uh, to 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 fight and operate. As a, as a unit, they, uh, there is no question about it that they're brave and they're, they know how to use weapons and so on. So, so what, therefore, once the Americans leave, that is going to happen. So what's and, the solution, uh, Brigadier? What's, yeah, what's the solu- From yeah. your vast army background, what would be the solution hmm. there? Well, you see, what has happened is uh, the premise, we've gone wrong on the premise. Afghanistan has mixed, there are three ethnic groups in Afghanistan, very clear to find. One is the people which are, who are called the Taliban or the Pashtun. They're the people who live in the south of the country. And they are the majority. They, they live in Kabul. They live in Kandahar. And they live astride the border with Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So these are the people who are the majority. They are 60% of Afghanistan. Now, the northern part of Afghanistan is the remaining 40%. Of the 40%, 30% are Uzbeks and Tajiks who live in the north and they are a minority. And the remaining 10% are the Hazaras who are the border with Iran. So unfortunately, where, where things have not been done rightly is that these, the majority has been kept out of power. And uh, the Afghan National Army, the Afghan National Police, the head of the Secret Service, the CID, all these people have been people from the Northern Alliance. And they're not accepted 
by the people, the majority of the Afghans who are in the south, and they are the they are the Pashtuns, they are the Taliban. So they are not accepting this, and they are only waiting for the Americans to leave or the uh, international uh, security forces to leave. And as they leave, this majority will turn on to these people. And these people are the Northern Alliance people, the people who are the minority. And uh, they will, I, I see a very fierce civil war as soon as the Americans live within, within the Afghans, uh, the Southern Afghans, who are the Pashtuns, who are the majority, they, they will fight for their, you know, for, for they say that legitimacy, we are the majority. Uh, Mr. Karzai is, is, uh, is somebody who is a Pashtun who belongs to the southern part. Mm-hmm. But then he is in great minority. He is, uh, let us say there are, if there are about 30, 30 ministers today in Afghanistan, only about 20% are ministers or people of position and power in Afghanistan who are from the south. The rest of them have been imposed from the north. So this this big injustice uh, will have to be will be corrected by the Afghans themselves, and the only way the Afghans know is to fight. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, since you asked me a question, I see that there will be a big fight once this void uh, of the exodus or the of uh, of the Americans leaving Afghanistan takes place. So that's an unfortunate thing, but that. That's that's likely to happen. And was there, and is there any way that that could have been avoided? It could be, frankly, avoided. Uh, very much, it could have been avoided. Uh, you see, you went to Iraq, and you said Iraq was ruled by the minority. Saddam Hussein was the minority. He was mm-hmm. a Shia. He was a Shiite. Mm-hmm. Sorry, he was a Sunni. He was the minority. He was only thirty percent. Seventy percent of Iraq is Shiite, okay. but thirty percent of Sunni, which was Saddam Hussein, he called all the shots. He was in power, and he was a strong man. He was a dictator, and he ruled. And the Americans went in, and the Americans did a correct thing. That was correct. You sorted out this. You put back, and it should be like this: the majority should rule over the minority. Mm-hmm. This is everywhere now. That has not been done in Afghanistan. The majority has been left out because the majority, the Americans feel and they thought or they assessed that the majority is part people who are, they are Taliban. Mm-hmm. The Taliban, the Pashtuns, and of course, uh, they are Pashtuns, they are from the south, but not all Pashtuns are Taliban. So therefore, in that general, um, you know, in the general bracketing, uh, all Pashtuns who were people from the south and the majority of Afghanistan, they were left out of power and out of favor by the Americans because uh, it was thought that these people are a part of the Taliban, which is not so. They were not the Taliban. So that's where the big thing has happened. And uh, if it is thought that the Northern Alliance will be able to, you know, rule the Southern people? Never, because uh, tradition for hundreds of years, Kabul has been the seat of power of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kabul belongs to the Pashtuns. And uh, so therefore, 
there is going to be this thing now because you know the direction taken has been uh, these people have been left out and they will they will assert for their own rights and there will be a civil war and that's a very unfortunate thing okay. to happen. This is a good time to take a break, Brigadier. Stay tuned. Okay. Um, Brigadier Rashid Malik, and I will be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Brigadier Rashid Malik has been providing us a unique view of the Middle East and how it relates to private security and private investigation. So, Brigadier, you were just talking about this whole volatile area of what's happening in Afghanistan and as it relates to you. How, how are you going to, um, as this develops, how are you going to be transacting your business and what kind of business are you going to be offering um, as you see the future? Uh, <clears throat> obviously, uh, on a lighter side, I can say that uh, – I mean, after 9-11, the business of private security has been uh, booming, uh, not only in Pakistan, but in the U.S. I mean, if you, uh, if you see the industry, the private security industry, the industry which produces equipment 
and the various kinds of equipment. You take it bomb detectors and, and CCTV cameras and remote sensing devices and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. All these, uh, the, air tra- the airport machines and all, they've really, really uh, they've gone state-of-the-art and very expensive, costing millions of dollars now. So really the the private security industry uh, after 9/11 has really gone out of the roof. I mean, they've, 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 they've. So, effect of that has also happened in Pakistan. I mean, uh, we mm-hmm. can't remain oblivious of the rest of the world. Uh, so, what has happened here in Pakistan is that we are uh, asked to provide security to various businesses in Pakistan, and uh, my largest clients are um, banks. Uh, Banks, we have, uh, considering the environment, banks need to be protected, well-guarded. So we have security at the banks, and these are armed security, licensed security. And uh, so these people are at the banks, and we provide physical security. Then there is uh, uh, there are companies like uh, Abbott. This is a U.S. company, and gamble. I mean, these the, they have businesses in Pakistan mm-hmm. and Pfizer, and they ask for security. They they say they need physical security uh, in the shape of guards and so on. So we deploy those guards and all. We give them security. Uh, so that's the other security. Then, of course, there is there are bodyguards. There is close security, and there are some people, high-profile people, who want bodyguards and I was quite surprised that I was last month I was in the US in Orlando and as I was going up the the elevator I mean the uh, elevator I was I saw actually for the first time uh, I don't know who the gentleman was the youngish American and he had a bodyguard interesting how did you (laughs) and how did you identify it was a bodyguard well absolutely simple I mean the guy was alert, and he had his ears wide. I mean, he had something here, and then looking left and right, he started looking at me because he was looking like somebody from abroad. And uh, this guy was, you know, just relaxed, and he had his tie open and all. I mean, I knew exactly, and they were, you know, looking into each other's eyes. I mean, I can pick up immediately. That Interesting. Job. Okay. So, and this is the first time I was surprised. I mean, why would you need a bodyguard in Orlando? Well, he was there, and he was a uh, young chap. And so, anyway, so but if you need them in the U.S., you need them here. You need them more here because you know we our security situation is certainly a little more worse than what is in America. So there are people here who are uh, there are leaders, there are uh, film stars, and there are uh, chief executives and presidents of companies and all. So they need security. So we give them security and uh, we give them bodyguards. And these are all bodyguards are people who are uh, uh, who have been uh, ex-military or ex-special forces. Mm-hmm. So these are the people who do this. So that's that's one thing more. So, so this is called this is like executive protection. It is executive protection. Yeah. These okay. are executives, and we protect them. There are uh, there are ambassadors uh, from different countries and who want security and so on and so forth. So. Uh, sometimes, uh, then in addition, uh, we do intellectual property. I mean, uh, brand protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a unfortunate thing all over the world. And a lot of these things are sold, which are, uh, basically, uh, counterfeited mm-hmm. and they're either made or they're sold 
there are clothing, you know, very big prominent names who are counterfeited and then sold uh, for medicines, very, I mean, sometimes life-saving drugs and so on and so forth. So I was wondering uh, about that. Do, yeah. Yes, we, we do that. We, we, well, you'll be surprised. We, uh, we do a lot of that. And uh, so that's another thing. So what I've done is I've divided my company into four parts. One part is just called the Executive Protection Division. The second is the physical security, which is guarding. The third is secure uh, consultancy. Uh, the, the, that's the third division. And the fourth is cash in transit. You know, these, these trucks which carry cash. Mm-hmm. These are armor trucks which carry cash. So basically, this is how the company is divided. And uh, four divisions. And then, of course, there is administrative and so on. So uh, this is the kind of work we get. And uh, we provide service. And we get a lot of, uh, you'll be surprised, we, I get a lot of people, uh, let's say people are coming in. Uh, now, this morning, uh, there are people coming to Islamabad in the morning. They're landing there. They have meetings with the government and so on and so forth. So they want to be picked up at the airport, given security. They go to the hotel. We'll take them to the hotel. They'll uh, stay or sleep some time. And then in the morning, we will take them uh, in our transport with our guards. We'll take them to to the ministry where they want to go and do their business or to any company and mm-hmm. then stay one day, take them back to the hotel next day again. And then later on, as soon as they want, whenever, whatever the program is, they then take them to the airport and put back on the flight. So this is like, uh, then there are some people who come here for longer. There are aircraft engineers and so on. Sometimes people come from, uh, Cadillac and, uh, uh uh, you know, different uh, aircraft engines, and they come for longer periods, and they have to go and do work on the aircraft. So they come, uh, the, the commercial aircraft, and they come and they uh, they repair this. So we give them protection. Uh, we take them, we bring them back, and so on. Yeah. So, so uh, it's a constant requirement. Yeah. When we were on our break, we were you and I were talking about if you train evasive driving. Yeah. And I was very interested yeah, in that. that. So. Oh yeah, that's a that's a very good course we run, and uh, surprisingly, we started off uh, uh, basically uh, to train drivers to be able to take care of themselves if it's the uh, the client himself, or if he's a driver, then he needs to protect his you know his his client or his boss or his uh, whoever is hired him. So it's three or four days course. And we tell them how to take J-turns or U-turns and, you know, how to evade and how to see whether you're being followed and all. And uh, this is this is caught on. And you'll be quite surprised that we are, we provide, we are a regular, uh, there's a regular every year requirement from the World Bank in Washington. So, again, tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.